Live from the Wolf Construction Roofing Studio, it's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. Sponsored by Wolf Construction Roofing. Back here, final hour of the program here until 3 o'clock. Jimmy B and TC, Trent running solo with you today, this afternoon. Uh, afternoon baseball, a lot of games going on. The Twins hold on to a 2-1 lead as they move to the bottom of the sixth inning. Urban Santana able to get out of another jam as his outstanding start to the year continues. Boston now leads Toronto 1-0, that one in the top of the ninth inning. Tampa up 5-1 on Detroit, and the Angels and Astros, Houston leads that one 1-0. Here to talk about the baseball across the national scene, he is Matt Snyder with us on the Draft House 50 Hotline. You see his work over at CBSSports.com, and he's with us here today. Matt, what's going on? I'm uh, I'm good. You know, it feels like we're finally getting into the grind part. You know, we got all the, the opening day festivities out. Everybody's had their home opener. The Braves finally had their home opener mm, yeah. <laughs> almost two weeks into the season. Uh, you know, past Jackie Robinson Day. Now it's kind of just going to be normal baseball. And uh, that's when the diehards really get into it, and a lot of the casual fans kind of take a break for a little bit. Well, the Chicago Cubs fans' panic button was not being pushed, but after the weekend, losing four consecutive, then they lose uh, the game against Milwaukee. It was, what's going on with this team? They come back on Tuesday night, they come back yesterday, and any kind of uh, concerns I think are gone, Matt. Well, I think some people were starting. I already had people tweeting me, what's wrong with the Cubs? I'm like, oh, gosh, really? I just wonder if it's some perspective was lost when they started 25-6 and six last year yeah. and then ended up winning the World Series. But, I mean, remember, they lost 15-20 of 20 in the middle of the summer. And, like I said, maybe that's because it was part of the grind part of the season and not the very beginning. Um, you know, but on, on the flip side, it's good to get frustrated again if you're a Cubs fan. Just to be a reminder that, hey, once they won the World Series – the people who said that we wouldn't have an identity anymore and wouldn't care as much anymore were wrong because they, they, the fans still very much do care. Um, I felt like they needed that one Tuesday night as much as you can need a really early season game, and then they went out and did it again yesterday. So going into Cincinnati, the Reds seem kind of ripe for a downturn right now. It kind of feels like one of those early season Cubs are going to go out and sweep and kind of make a statement that we're still the Cubs and probably take over first place in the Central. And um, if they do that, they probably won't give it up the rest of the year. You know, it's such a small sample size, and we talk about that so much in April and even into May for a while. Uh, the sample size is so small, you don't want to take these these grand big uh, gestures when you're looking at a team. But it felt like they just needed something to ignite them. And, and coming back in the fashion they did down big Tuesday night, the comeback yesterday, it feels like it's uh, maybe just that little, little light of a fire to get them going now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the offense wasn't hitting, and you knew the offense was going to come around. The only things I would be concerned with right now are things like Kyle Hendricks getting knocked around the yard like that. He wasn't knocked around. Now, he started, he was, uh, I think, something like 0-2 with a 4.50 ERA in his first three starts last year, but he's well over six right now, and he didn't get hit hard like that all year last year he's getting killed on the home run and he did not give up home runs like that last year so maybe a little concern there Anderson uh had one of the most uh um I'm not even thinking the right word uh but his outing where he gave up zero runs against the Dodgers misleading was the word one of the most misleading zero earned run performances you've ever seen because of several catches in the field most notably two by Albert Almora 
Um, and then he got knocked around the yard in his last outing. Maybe some concern there, but I know they had a lot of depth on the back and maybe throwing Mike Montgomery in the rotation, maybe bringing up Eddie Butler. Other than that, not really concerned about it. You know the bullpen's going to be volatile. That's how bullpens are no matter where they are, and people like Pedro Strope and Koji Uihara, I think they're going to be just fine. So I don't see that many areas for concern on that Cubs team. Matt, uh, the Cubs also made a change coming up for that weekend series with Cincinnati. Lester's going to get the start on Friday night, Arietta then uh, will get the start on Saturday. Anything to read into that? Is it maybe a case they just uh, keeping Lester away from pa- pitching against his old team? What do you think that's all about? Uh, I the thing is they flipped them earlier in the season so Lester could pitch the home opener, and now it's just kind of a reordering back would be my only comment that I could come up with on that. I don't. I, I wouldn't really read that much into it past that. I don't know why they would be worried about protecting him against the Red Sox or anything, unless he just said he didn't want to pitch there. Right. Um, I, in all honesty, it's probably just taken at face value. Uh, they're just flipping him back because of the off day, and they, they flipped him in the first place to get Lester the, the home opener start. Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com, with us on the Draft House 50 hotline. Well, speaking of those Red Sox, David Price going to be out for a while and uh, it's been slowed down due to soreness there, according to uh, manager John Farrell. How concerning is this, uh, a team that has a little bit of depth but not a whole lot there, if they are going to be the team many people anticipated, don't they have to have price? Yeah, they do. I mean, yeah. the thing is they won the East last year with price instead of Chris Sale. Yeah. If you swap them out, Sale's probably better at this point. But they also got a signing performance from Porcello, which you can't expect him to repeat. Then again, maybe Eduardo Rodriguez for a full year of health takes a step forward as a breakout candidate. They can overcome that. They haven't really been hitting so far, and they're still in a decent position right now. I, I, from the perspective of getting to the playoffs, though, and if they're both firing on all cylinders, having a one-two punch, I know Price's track record in the playoffs isn't there, but guys can turn that around. If you have Sale and Price at the top of the rotation, you could ride that to a World Series title. So it's moderately concerning from the, the aspect that Price has a lot of mileage on his arm. He's 31 years old. He already has over 1,600 innings. He, he led the majors with 230 last year. He led the majors in 2014 with 248. He threw 220 in 2015. This is a guy that's up in the 220s very routinely, and he hasn't really had any major arm issues, uh, at, at least once he became a regular starter in 2010. Is it starting to catch up? Uh, you worry at this point because in this day and age, generally speaking, when a guy survives for that long and you say, well, He's found the formula. What did we hear about, uh, I believe it was Bronson Arroyo a few years ago. Oh, he, he, he'd never get hurt. Eh, Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you almost wonder, is this the other shoe falling? And is it eventually going to come out that Price needs Tommy John? I'm not saying that because I haven't examined him and I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying when it takes this long to get back, you start to wonder, is that the path we're heading down? Matt, uh, last night, Clayton Kershaw upset with uh... – uh, Tyler Anderson, I was trying to think of his first name. So many Andersons, it seems like, with the Rockies. Tyler Anderson for coming late out of the uh, bullpen, getting ready for the start of the game. Kershaw called it one of the most disrespectful things he's ever been part of in a game. we got to slow down here, right? Kershaw, hey, relax a little bit. The guy was just coming out of the bullpen. We're not starting yeah. World War III. Uh, <laughs> some of these starting pitchers are absolutely nuts on the days that they start, <laughs> and I don't think anybody's more nuts than Giants or a Dodgers rival, Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. But, man, at some point, it, maybe just keep it to yourself. I, it just, 
you come off sounding like a crybaby yes. when you say stuff like that. And he's long been kind of the yin to Bumgarner's yang on that front. And I don't know if maybe he wanted to kind of join in on it some. Uh, yeah, get, get out there on time. But one of the most disrespectful things I've ever seen, and we've seen a lot of disrespectful things on baseball fields before, and somebody being a little bit tardy, uh, I don't know. That, that comes off as, uh, like I said, as being kind of a crybaby, and frankly, pretty selfish, too. I mean, it's uh, obviously he was worried about himself being delayed in his routine by, what, 30 seconds, 45 yeah. seconds? Man, grand scheme that thing. That's not that big of a deal. I mean, how's it any different when you're, you're sitting in the dugout and your team takes an extra 45 seconds to step in the batter's box sometimes. Um, it's just, uh, it's not, the optics don't look great. We'll just say that. You know, and we see so much of this in baseball and, and the old stodgy guys that are still around. Yeah, they might be guys in their 20s, but they're still about the old school of baseball. I thought after the World Baseball Classic, maybe we'd see a little bit more fun. And it seemed yeah. maybe that first week that was a part of it. But it feels like as we're starting to get three weeks into this now, we're just going back to the same old school uh, stodgy baseballness. Yeah, we were just kind of fooling ourselves on that one, yeah. weren't we? I, I mean, w- one thing about that is, I said this on—I don't know if I was said on this show or not—but I did on several shows. Is you can't expect that kind of intensity to be there for 162 games. Right. But I would like to see it at least the first couple weeks of the season, then into the playoffs. But no, we we revert back right back, like you said, the, the curmudgeony. Hey, don't you dare! be excited on this baseball field, do everything I say, not everything I do. It's, it's just, good Lord, guys, quit taking yourselves so seriously. You're, you're playing a game, getting paid millions of dollars to play a game, and people are watching you to be entertained. I think a little fun can be had. Starley Marte, suspended 80 games for PED use. Uh, is he the best player that has been suspended in your mind? We, of course, know about A-Rod, but maybe even taking him away. Is he the best player to be suspended for PED use? Nah, I mean we had uh, Ryan Braun, Nelson Cruz. Right. Yep. Um, you could probably argue Marte was an all-around better player than Cruz, but I mean it, Braun, Braun was in his prime, uh, mm-hmm. so I would probably take Braun. Um, one of my main takeaways from this, well, there's several. One is just because somebody gets caught doesn't mean the testing's not working. In fact, I would say, well, catching somebody isn't that a sign it's kind of working? Right. First of all, second of all. It is the strictest testing program in any sport, but it's the outrage you hear is far exceeds the outrage is when somebody in the NFL gets caught. I mean, you still compare like somebody like Ryan Braun, the stigma around him compared to like Brian Cushing. It's not even close, and it's ridiculous how much of a double standard there is. Um, second of all, if I can relate this to some talk, I've already heard people start talking about Eric Thames. Yeah, uh, being on PEDs because if you're not allowed to get good without being on PEDs, Starling Marte hit nine home runs last year. Nine. Mm-hmm. D. Gordon got pegged for PED use last year. He can barely hit the ball of the infield. <laughs> it's, we've got to stop pretending that we know just because because somebody gets good at power automatically they're a juicer. Uh, and we went through this crap with Jake Arrieta a few years ago when he when he all of a sudden morphed into being great. Uh, Guys can get better. Guys have been getting better since the beginning of time in baseball. Uh, some guys who use are terrible players. Bobby Estella was a PE deer. He was awful. Um, it's just we've got to quit acting like we know that automatically just because somebody gets good they're using or we know the telltale signs of juice. Oh, he got bigger and he's hitting home runs. Well, he's juicing. We don't know that. There's ways to get big without juicing. And by the same token, look at D. Gordon. Dude's as skinny as anybody in the league yeah. and he was juicing. So I, I, 
I don't know if Thames is or not. Uh, as long as he has not failed a test, I'm going to say he's not. I, I, if, to me, they're all innocent until proven guilty. Starling Marte is guilty. D. Gordon is guilty. Um, you know, Nelson Cruz, Ryan Braun, A-Rod, guilty. But I, we don't know anything about area. We don't know anything about Thames. And it's frustrating to me that we do this in baseball and we don't do it, for example, when Adrian Peterson is the best running back in football, what, six months after having ACL surgery? Yeah. And I'm not saying he used, but I'm saying if it happens in baseball, we hear about it. I'm tired of that. Ray Lewis and his deer antler spray leading up to the Super Bowl. Can you imagine that was the same year that the Tigers were in the World Series? Can you imagine if that was Miguel Cabrera, oh. how much that would have overtaken the World Series? Still be talking about it today. Every time a PED user, yes. it'd, be, it'd be brought up still today. That one, just part of the crowd. And, you know, you talk about the NFL, but... Look at the NBA. Look at the freak athletes that you're talking about there Absolutely. playing 82 games. You don't think there's PED users out there? I mean, it's it's silliness in my mind. Absolutely, but it's it's something about the home run, which again, it's so weird because in football they're, they're lighting each other up right. hits that we never used to see, never used to see hits like that. But yeah, it, not much we can do to change it. I don't think right. other than just complain about it like this and hope that people start to kind of see our side. Well, Matt, it's time for the selfish part of the program. That means I get to talk about the Minnesota Twins before we let you run. Uh, Irvin right. Santana, good again today. It took a lot of pitches for him uh, to get through six innings. But as I got it on here in the studio, a, a league average, maybe a touch above league average guy. He'll get you your 180 innings a year. How is he doing in pitching at this level, though? Is it just as simple as small sample size, or is there more? Well, he's done it before in stretches like this, uh, notably when he was with the Angels. I mean, he had several, at least very good half seasons with yeah. the Angels. I, I know that he was an all-star one year, and I believe he got Cy Young consideration, something like 2007, 2008, somewhere in there. Um, so he can do this in stretches. And uh, obviously he's not going to continue to have a sub-one ERA. But I think, I mean, you look last year, uh, he, he had a, a pretty good year overall, uh, considering the team that he was playing for. And I think if they stay competitive, you're going you're gonna to look at him maybe being a fringe-type all-star, especially with as many pitchers get names nowadays. Because every time somebody's ineligible to add another guy, you could see him kind of having an all-star-type season. I don't think we should be going crazy with Cy Young or anything, but it's not unreasonable to think that he could have a very good year this year. Finally, Byron Buxton, the struggles continue. Shop showed a lot of promise late in uh, September last year. But back to the same old, and the strikeouts are at an incredible rate. What's next? Let him work through it. Back down to AAA where he's dominated every time he's been sent back down. What do you do with Byron Buxton? I, it's You can't know unless you know the person and how he would deal with it. But I almost think I would get him down to AAA to get him hot and get the confidence back up and then bring him back. You don't want to keep shuttling him back and forth. But at some point when you're striking out, pretty much every other time you come up to the plate, it can really do a number on you, and you almost end up having a lost season. I mean, we've seen guys who have been in the league for years and established power hitters like Adam Dunn and Paul Canerco just have a lost season in the middle of your career, and you can't explain it. You just kind of get in your own head at some point. I think they need to clear that out, and again, go let them get hot in AAA get confidence back, then come back, and maybe he starts to hit like he did in September. And I tell you, not even as a Twins fan, just as a baseball fan, watching him in September, he was one of the players I was most excited to see coming into this year because I thought, here we go. He's going to be one of the breakout stars this year, and then he's going to be established. And then you see a start like this, and 
small sample is, but we're coming up on three weeks, and that's not like three or four games anymore. At some point, that's going to start to snowball, and you worry about breaking his psyche, at least for the season. So I think I, think I could see him um, being sent down to AAA and trying to get him right for two or three weeks and then bring him back and then just let him be. Matt, always enjoy our conversations on baseball. Thanks as always, and maybe next time uh, we can hit a little Big Ten baseball and we can talk about your Hoosiers hosting the Big Ten tournament this year. Absolutely. I would love that. All right, man. We'll have a good one. You too. Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com, with us on the Draft House 50 Hotline. We'll come back on the other side. We got Tom Caker speaking of Hawkeye baseball. Maybe we'll sneak a question in there. The Hawkeyes uh, lose one on the road, a 4-1 lead last night out of Bradley. They give up five consecutive and lose it 6-4. to four. The Hawkeyes going to need to win a lot of series to put themselves in contention to get back to the NCAA tournament. Hawkeye talk. Not all baseball. Don't worry. Next with Tom Kicker here is Jimmy B and TC from the Wolf Construction Roofing Studios. Back at it here once again. Time to talk some Hawkeyes. The spring game happening at Kinnick Stadium, 7 o'clock on Friday night. And joining us here to talk about that and much more on the world of the Hawkeyes, from HawkeyeReport.com, it's Tom Caker. Tom, good afternoon. What's going on? Hey, Trent. Is it a game or is it not a game? Oh, That's yes. I, I saw the debate over and on the Do we really lounge. care? Do we really care? <laughs> well, it is a they're game. Gonna play, they're they're going to play like a regular football game. There's going to be 11 guys on each side of the, on each side of the ball. They're going to hit each other. I mean, it's going to be a real game with a weird scoring system. That's how it's going to work. So for people that don't know the particulars and are either going to make their way over Friday night or watch it on BTN on tape delay at 830, uh, 15-minute, four quarters, it's going to be continuous clock, but you are going to see a a game here, if you will. So with that being said, what is the scoring system? Do you you have any idea? Have you seen that yet? Yeah, they let it out. It's, It's the same one they've used the last few years, and it's basically the explosive plays are worth points, uh, on offense, passing, running, it's I think it's like a 16-yard pass and a 12-yard run, and the defense creates a turnover. They get points if they the defense scores a touchdown. They get points. Um, yeah, it's just it's goofy, but you know it's it's football. That's football, as they as someone would say in Iowa City. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least we'll get a look at it. You know, I just don't ever get too worked up about. Spring football is generally just kind of developmental. It's kind of boring. It's it's not a real game, but they're going to play it like it's a real game. So just be happy that you got football. For gosh sakes, it's, it's April and we got football. Good. Yes, we got a whole summer to yell at each other over on the message boards. We, we don't need to be doing that now when there's football. <laughs> no, we can debate the water tower in the Iowa State series. Well, we have plenty to get into with that as well. Tom Kaker, HawkeyeReport.com, with us on the Draft House 50 Hotline. Uh, Tom, what you're looking for tomorrow night, some of the things that you're looking to see. Uh, wide receiver Nick Easley yesterday when you had a chance to uh, hear from Brian Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz, and Phil Parker. That was a guy that uh, they had some glowing praises to say about the walk-on receiver from just over the road from us here in Newton. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you know about him and you know, people already say, oh, it's another Riley McCarron clone. At least he's a little bit bigger than McCarron, right? Yeah, he's bigger than McCarron. Um, probably, you know, a little better pass catcher, um, at least based on his production. It's funny talking to him because I asked him yesterday, I said, if 
you didn't go to Iowa Western, where where was your kind of options? And he goes like uh, William Penn and Grandview. And, I mean, it was just Crazy. it was amazing to to hear that this kid had just kind of gotten through the cracks a little bit at Newton, and now he's uh, got a chance to play. He's a huge Hawk fan too, so uh, you know going to Iowa was just kind of a no brainer when he got the opportunity to walk on. So um, I'm interested to see him. Again, we saw him a little bit in Des Moines, but this will be a better look at him. But definitely, Brian Ferentz said yesterday he's in the plans for the fall, so I think we're going to see him on the field when the season gets started. Well, Tom, uh, we're two kindred spirits. We like to uh, go out to Vegas and throw a little money down on some action. Now, there's nothing actionable here with the spring game, but you talked about the explosive plays. This popped into my head. Uh, Over, under, where would we put the number explosive passing games that we see tomorrow night. I was thinking two and a half. Would that be a good over-under? <laughs> it might. I'll take the over, though. I okay, think they're going to okay. get a few plays in that. Uh, if you're going to go two and a half, I would have put it at like five. I think five would be an interesting number. Yeah. See if they can get five plays over 16 yards. I think that that might be the the number to gamble on. Uh, that's that's where I think you'd find it at the uh, at the the MGM book or the or the Caesars book. Well, when uh, sports gambling becomes legalized here in the state of Iowa and across the country, you know the uh, the people at Prairie Meadows and other places they can just hire us and and we'll make lines all kinds of fun prop bets for Iowa Iowa games throughout the the year and even spring games. We'll throw up things for that. <laughs> you might as well. Hey, it's a it'll be a great revenue stream, and I wish they'd get this done. Ah, right there with you. Well, Tom, uh, with that, we talk about the passing game, what we're going to see out of it. What's the latest with Germanique Smith? After the practice a couple weeks ago here, we find out at Valley that he's not going to be with the team. Now, what are you hearing, and, and how real is the possibility that Germanique Smith isn't part of the program after the semester? I always, when a guy disappears for academic reasons like this, uh, I am always on the uh pessimistic side when it comes to if that guy's ever going to return to the program. So right now, I'm just kind of operating like he's probably not going to be there mm-hmm. um, this fall. But I, but that's just, just based on past experience when guys have academic issues that they tend to just disappear. So um, I'm hoping he gets his act together. He needs to, and um, he can help him this fall, but he's he's got work to do in the classroom right now, and, and that's his focus, and hopefully he can make it back. Hopefully, uh, Matt Vandenberg can get his foot healthy and get ready to play this fall. And they can have both those guys. Then the receiver position isn't as uh, barren as it uh, is right now with two scholarship wide receivers participating on Friday night. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. And you got that, and now you got what about fifteen, twenty tight ends over there with the move of Drew Cook over to the tight end position. Yeah, now you got eight guys there, and. Uh, uh, Drew Cook moved over. We had to put that up over the weekend that we had heard that he had moved over and been out there for four practices. And uh, uh, Kirk said he likes what he's seen from Drew. I think this was an encouraged move by the coaching staff rather than Drew saying, I want to go play tight end. Um, but maybe, you know, they find something there and he can help them. Uh, I always go back to that. Uh, and you'll probably remember this at state title game his senior year when they did one of those pass plays to the quarterback, and he caught a touchdown pass in the state title game, and everybody kind of went nuts, like, oh, here it is. Here's the future. He's going to be, you know, he's getting into the family business, and uh, now he is. 
uh, as a, a tight end uh, for the Hawkeyes. And you know, Kirk said yesterday that they thought his path to you know to help Iowa win football games was was better at tight end than it was uh, at quarterback. And that just tells you that what they've basically been saying all spring that there was a gap between uh, the top two quarterbacks and uh, the next two quarterbacks. Well, that leaves now Ryan Boyle as the third-team quarterback. And, you know, there was uh, maybe some talk about after the injury to Brandon Snyder, maybe he could look for a home at the safety position. At least for right now, you'd expect him. He's going to stick at quarterback. Uh, how's the offseason gone for him, the spring football, as he's trying to work his way back after the move last year to wide receiver? You know, he's doing okay. Um, and they, they did move somebody over to safety. They moved Noah Kleiberg, who's uh, mm-hmm. a great shirted joined the program in January, and, and uh, he's uh, he's now working at safety. He was at running back, so uh, they got a little more depth back there now. Uh, but Boyle's been doing okay. Um, I you know I, I'm going to be curious to see how he uh, performs on Friday night to see if he's kind of you know just getting more comfortable after that year at, at wide receiver. I think that you know it's an adjustment period once you've been. Uh, playing a different position to get back there and get the timing back down at quarterback. Well, we anticipate we're going to see, what, a lot of two tight end t- sets this year. It is going to be a physical team. That offensive line, again, looked very good, I thought, run blocking a couple weeks ago. Uh, still the concerns, I'm sure, against speed rushers. There's not really a prototypical tackle out there with the requisite you know, foot speed that you're looking for, but these guys are road graders. With Akron Wadley back behind them, they're going to be in good shape running the football and a couple tight ends out there with them as well. Yeah, and that's the Brian Ferentz mentality that he wants to be a tough physical team. And I, I think you're going to see him really uh, ride Akron Wadley as much as they can. Um, just kind of listening to Brian yesterday, it, it's, it's not going to be like last year where it was kind of uh, 1 and 1A, one uh, depending on the game with, with Akram and, and LaShawn Daniels. Uh, now it's going to be Akram Wadley and Akram Wadley and Akram Wadley and more Akram Wadley and <laughs> Passes to Akram Wadley, and he mentioned that, trying to get him out in space. Uh, and, and that's a good game plan to get the ball out in space. We'll, you know, flat pass to Akram and let him get out there against the linebacker or safety and see what he can do because he can make people miss. So I think uh, Akram's going to need all those 190 pounds that he's now at uh, to uh, stand a, a pretty, uh, you know, he's going to take a pounding this year, but. Uh, Boy, he's, he's got a chance to have a really, really good senior year at Iowa. I mean, we're talking about uh, 250, 300 touches they might be looking for uh, this year. What are your thoughts on the backup running back position? Tokes out there, Ekron Abade along with uh, Torin Young, those two guys, maybe some fresh faces. Uh, your thoughts of who's going to see, because we always see it regardless of how good the back is, Iowa likes to use a couple backs back there. Yeah, I would think Tokes is probably a little bit ahead, but I, I don't know about much. And that's just based on Tokes playing last year and Torn Young did not. Um, but you know, I really like Torn Young. I, you know, he does one thing that uh, the Iowa coaches always look for in a running back, and that's he doesn't put the ball on the ground. I mean, he went through his high school career. I think he had like one fumble, mm. and uh, uh, he is he is really good with ball security. And that's important for an Iowa player uh, at running back. So, uh, you know, and, and he's a deceptively good runner, and he, he's got that really thick 
lower body that makes, and he's not big, so he's just kind of a, a, a bowling ball back there with some decent wheels. So uh, I, I really think he's going to have a shot at, at uh, maybe getting some carries this year. Talking with Tom Caker, HawkeyeReport.com, with us on the Draft House 50 hotline. Uh, Tom, from there yesterday with uh, Kirk talking, a couple of rules changes happening in college football. One he seemed okay with, but no more two-a-days, and Kirk uh, didn't sound pleased about it. No, he wasn't. And I, I wrote about it after the rule thing came out that, that day. I, I wrote a, a piece on the impact for the recruiting side of things for Iowa, and I, I think it'll be a positive, but one of the things with the two-a-days is, and I mentioned that in my my column about it, that, that uh, teams are going to have to start earlier now. And so, you know, Big Ten Media Days, July 24th and 25th this year in Chicago. And basically, I was going to come back from that media day, and I, I think a day or two later, get started with camp. And normally, it would be another week before they would get started. Uh, because the two days are going away, and and the, the number of practices you have to get in, and so what it does is it cuts a week away for those kids to get home and you know spend some time with their family and friends, get away from campus, uh, kind of relax, enjoy themselves uh, after being on campus during the summer doing training and also taking summer school classes. Uh, so you know it might be you know three weeks that they are away now it's only going to be two uh, it's just it's not ideal um i'll just say that it's not ideal for for uh, any football team i think everybody's going to have to do the same thing and uh but some schools have different class schedules so they could be able to get away a little bit more uh, and some it may even be less uh, depending on how their summer terms or if they're on trimesters or whatever they're on uh so it's it's just going to be more difficult for the Iowa team uh, because I think we need to understand these kids need some time away, too, and, and they and we need to allow that to happen. And now without two days, and I think most players would say, eh, you know, two backs in a day. I'd rather do that than have, uh, you know, and have more time away to relax than um, to have just one practice a day. Yeah, and that is uh, something that... A lot of times with these rule changes, there's always going to be some tweaks that have to happen afterwards after you go through it. And it's crazy that sometimes the input uh, that they get, it's it's so one-sided at times. It, it just doesn't make it, a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it was more medical professionals, and I understand it. And there's nobody, uh, you know, I, I completely understand player safety and all those things. Um, but uh, sometimes you swing the pendulum far in one direction and maybe they did that here i just haven't seen you know if, if we would have seen some you know serious issues with two days then i say there's some evidence for it but if you're just kind of speculating which it seems like a lot of the medical people were doing then i i think maybe you, you just kind of study it more rather than make the decision without getting a lot of input from uh, coaches and, and and players Tom, uh, with that off the field and the ongoing lawsuit with Jane Meyer, what can you tell us what's uh, been happening with that? And, you know, is is this going to get even more contentious than some of the things that we've already seen? I mean, an athletic department opening themselves up uh, probably has to be concerning for a few people out there, you'd have to think. 
Yeah, it you know I just call it the it's the dirty laundry is what it is. Yeah. Just, there's Jane and and you know the the other lawsuit that's coming with uh, Tracy Griesbaum, the former uh, field hockey coach. It's they're going scorched earth. They're gonna they want this out there. I don't think there may have been a number that Iowa could have given them to settle this, but I don't know if there was even a number. I think they they wanted the satisfaction of going in the courtroom and and just firing all their shots. And that's what's going to happen here is they're going to try to paint Iowa in a negative light. Uh, Iowa feels strongly about their case, uh, and, and the, I think they want this fight just as much as as, uh, as uh, Jane Meyer and Tracy Griesbaum want it. So um, it's it's going down right now, and, and uh, it's, it's going to be... Nobody wins out of stuff like this. I mean, you know, it's going to be hard for Jane to get another job in athletic administration, I think. And, you know, Iowa's reputation could take a little bit of a hit depending on how this is, how this ends up going and how it's settled. And, but it, it's, there's no winner here. I mean, there'll be a winner, but really everybody's going to get mud thrown on them. And that's probably not a good thing. With that, Tom, uh, we move off the field one more. And the future of Iowa, Iowa State. Obviously, here in yeah. Central Iowa, it's been a big conversation piece, as you can imagine. And, and what I try to explain to people around here that you know, are Central Iowa lifers, lived in Des Moines their whole life, whatever it may be, is the rivalry is looked at so differently in Eastern Iowa than it is here. Living in both places for a number of years, it, it's, I just don't think people here understand Iowa, Iowa State, yeah, it's your in-state rival, but it just doesn't have the same cachet over there that it does here. It doesn't, and it, it's just not as important a game um, because we're not, you know, I live in the eastern uh, side of the state. It, it's not, we're not in ground zero for um, Iowa, Iowa State. You you are in ground zero, and that's that's where the real battle is. And But for most Iowa fans, you know, a, a lot of us who are of a certain age, uh, I realize it's been a very competitive series, um, you know, since the very end of the Hayden Fry era and, uh, and, you know, and during the Ferentz era. But it just seems like for a lot of us, it gets stale. Um, and then to kind of compound it at the same time, the Big Ten goes to nine regular season conference games, which takes away that last kind of power five non-conference game because Kirk, as he said yesterday, I'm going to play 10 power five conference teams a year, and Iowa State is one of those 10, and that's it. And then we're going to play two other games against, uh, you know, kind of lesser competition, if you will, but still competitive teams. And Iowa fans kind of look around and they see, you know, Wisconsin playing LSU at Lambeau or, um, you know, playing, you know, some of the, the Alabama games, Alabama, Michigan, or somebody like that. They, they see all these other kind of games that they would like to see Iowa be in. And I understand that. And I, th- I think from Iowa's perspective, if you can find something that's better than Iowa, Iowa State, then you go do it. But if it's going to be Iowa against Arizona, Arizona State, um, you know, Syracuse, Pitt, uh, some of the teams they played, that's not better than Iowa, Iowa State. But if you can get a game against LSU or Alabama or, you know, in Arkansas, which I think has some interest, mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I, I think you go for those games and you just dump Iowa State for a while. I, I thought it was interesting based on what I've seen over the years. When that series gets extended, the Iowa State series, it's usually a five to ten year deal or six ten year or six to ten year deal, something like that. The only adding two years kind of it, it said something to me that basically maybe they're looking at after 2023, which then coincides kind of with the end of the the Ferentz contract. You know, eventually at that point, um, you know, then maybe we're looking at that's where the the end point is um, for the series, and maybe they do something different. Maybe it's six out of ten years Iowa and Iowa State play instead of instead of every year uh, annually. You know, my proposal has been after this contract runs out, take a two-year hiatus, come back with a four-year deal. And you get into a cycle like that, I think it makes both sides happy. You you have the compromise there. The series isn't going away, but it gives an opportunity for Iowa to look for that high-profile opponent. If they want to play at home-and-home, home, pay a neutral site game, whatever it is. And Iowa State can schedule the way they want to as well, be it another home-and-home. Home, their phone's going to be ringing off the hook. I, I remember an article back when the SEC and ACC uh, said that they had to play Power 5 conference schools in their non-conference. And you know who was getting phone calls nonstop? It was Vanderbilt and Wake Forest, Tom. So Iowa State's going to get phone calls from some good schools out there looking for a home-and-home. Home. That's going to happen for them. Or they could just schedule another bye game and try to get closer to six yeah. wins. Yeah, and I, 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 I don't have the pulse of Iowa State fan, obviously, because I'm, I'm not in that world very much. Um, but be curious to see if they would be interested in, in if something like that was possible for Iowa State where they could get uh, a game against Florida or Florida State or somebody like that or uh, USC, mm -hmm. although the uniforms would confuse right, people if right. they played USC, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Colorado even, something like that, Oregon, uh, would that Nebraska again? Make yeah. Would they? Would that make them want to, um, you know, maybe take a two-year hiatus uh, and, and then go four back on, and then two off, and then four back on, and um, because it, it just seems like the the rivalry needs to be spiced up at this point. Yeah, and it all comes back to the nine conference games for each of the schools, and especially Iowa now. They want the seven home games. It's a necessity for the athletic budget. That's what they say. And another thing I think people forget about or maybe miss, it's not that they need the $3 million that they make from a home game. Estimates out there around that. You pay, well, $1.5 million to Middle Tennessee. That number's cut down. But it's also the importance of the local community. And the businesses that now expect to have those seven games, those are the people that support your university and your athletic department. You want to keep those people happy as well. Absolutely. Football Saturdays are big business for every one of those businesses in downtown Iowa City, on the Strip in Coralville, the hotels, uh, the restaurants, all, all those places who are filled to capacity uh, during those Saturdays and Friday nights and Saturday nights. I mean, they're just, it, it really helps enhance the, uh, the, the local businesses. And, and you got to do those people solid, too. And I, you know, I think Iowa fans and Iowa businesses and the Iowa City, uh, Coralville area would be okay if they you know, maybe did one year out of ten where they did one of those kind of, you know, arranged games where that, you know, like be it at Jerry World or, uh, Arrowhead or something like that. Uh, I think they would be okay with that. But, um, yeah, the, the seven home games is just so important. And you have to remember football pays for everything. Yeah. It does. It pays for everything at Iowa. So if you want, 
Iowa baseball, if you want Iowa softball, if you want, uh, uh, you know, uh, Iowa wrestling to continue to be, uh, you know, among the best in the country, you've got to let them have those games because that's all that revenue. I know they're getting more TV money, but, you know, you can't, you're, you're counting on seven home games along with that TV revenue to enhance what you can do as an athletic department. Finally, Tom, uh, one more thing. Tom Caker, HawkeyeReport.com. I know you like to follow the Iowa baseball team, as I do. Watched last yeah. night on Watch ESPN for a while against Bradley. And, oh, they're up 4-1. Oh, I can turn this off. They're fine. And then they fell apart. So bad work out of me. I think I was the jinx on that one. Uh, the Hawkeyes, though, 5-4 and four in the Big Ten. Took the series over Nebraska over the weekend. They got five series left in the Big Ten. Fifteen games left. What's a number that could put them in position to be in that large team, short of winning the Big Ten tournament, I mean, they have 18 games overall. Do they have to go 13 and five, and maybe 10 and five in the Big Ten? Maybe even better than that. What do you think? Yeah, I looked at their RPI, and I haven't looked at it since. Uh, kind of looked at it like Sunday. I they, think they and dropped like seven, seven seven spots after the last last night. They're 83 today. Okay, because they were 74 or something uh, the other day. Uh, and they had made a pretty significant leap. I think it was the Nebraska wins really bumped them up about like 20 spots or something. So they're going to have to continue to get up there. The next two series are really important for them because they're very winnable. They're against the two worst teams in the Big Ten this year. Rutgers coming to Iowa City this weekend and then Penn State coming to Iowa City the following weekend. And you'd think they probably have to get um, six, uh, you know, five of those six games at least. Mm-hmm. And you you know win your midweek game, and then they've I know they've got uh, what is it, Michigan State coming up, and they got to go on the road. They've they probably got to you know they can't afford more than probably two series where they go uh, one and three, and but and then they got to make a little bit of a run in the tournament, I think. But they're going to make the tournament in the Big Ten, and uh, I, I think that's quite an achievement when you consider at one point there was you know they lose uh, C.J. Aldred for the year uh, with Tommy John. And then um, they've got uh, uh, Gallagher had the arm troubles for a little bit. He's back pitching now. But still, I mean, you know, your two top horses uh, were out for a period of time, and they seem to have weathered the storm thanks to uh, a really good hitting lineup, uh, especially with uh, uh, Jake Adams uh, just kind of pounding everything in sight these days. Yeah, the guy is unbelievable. Was on his way to play at North Dakota, and then found out they didn't have a baseball program. How about that? How about dumb luck, huh? Oh, unbelievable. You know, thanks, thanks to North Dakota for uh, doing away with baseball. Speaking of North Dakota, that's where Dale Jones will be playing Dale his Jones? final season of basketball. Yeah, that's uh, good. I'm sure they made that decision well. Uh, talking in the handshake line after that game earlier this year, right? <laughs> that was too easy for you, Tom. Too easy for you. I know. It was, it was like a, it was just right there, and I had to take it. We'll let you take it, no doubt. Tom, we'll uh, let you run here. Always appreciate it. Always a good conversation talking Hawkeyes with you. HawkeyeReport.com. It's uh, getting to recruiting season. I know you guys will have a lot going on, and your uh, cohort over there, Blair, a new one in his family, but he'll be back uh, writing recruiting articles soon, right? Oh gosh, yes. He's going to be there tomorrow night uh, for uh, football. So there's there's no rest for us. I mean, you know, we've we've kids, but we got we got to get back to work, man. Absolutely, I know it well. I know it well. Tom, yeah. be good. Okay, thanks, Trent. Thank you. That's Tom Caker, HawkeyeReport.com, with us on the Draft House Fifty Hotline.
Hey, I've gone to Tom's site now well, ever since he, he took over the site at Hawkeye Report, and I was a, a member there before that. He does great work. If you're looking for Hawkeye insight, there's nobody better than Tom. He's fair. He's a good guy. Love talking Hawkeyes with him. Tom Caker, HawkeyeReport.com, part of the Rivals Network. Well, that will do it. We are done for the day, wrapping things up. Uh, look forward at what we're going to be, well, keeping an eye on here tonight. A lot of day baseball going on here this afternoon. Kept you up to date on that all throughout the day. But uh, with it, last night, enjoyed the NBA. Watched some of that. That was good. Oklahoma City, Houston. That was fun. I still don't like watching Harden play like I told you earlier. I was going to give it another shot. I don't like his game. I don't like his beard. I don't, I don't enjoy the experience. I do re- enjoy Russell Westbrook, even if he's 17 to 43 shooting. I do enjoy that. But uh, a lot of baseball coming up tonight as well. Midwest scene, you got Kansas City. They're down in Texas. St. Louis, Milwaukee. How does Milwaukee bounce back after the last two nights blowing those big leads? Keeping an eye on that one. That'll be uh, 7 o'clock for both of those games. The NBA tonight, early on, you get Cleveland against Indiana, now in Indiana for Game 3 of that series. And how about Milwaukee hosting Toronto? I'll keep an eye on that one. San Antonio, Memphis, uh, not so much. And you know what? With the cold, might be a good thing. I don't need anything late night tonight to uh, keep me up too late. I need to get a little extra shut-eye. Good thing, Chicago, Nashville, and the NHL, that's a 7 o'clock start as well for that one. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be staying up to watch, I don't think, San Antonio, Memphis tonight, or San Jose, Edmonton on the ice we're going to be getting some shut-eye on your Rockstar Satellite uh, here this evening. That will finish things up. Thanks, everybody out there for listening in today. We talked a little NFL draft. Ken Silverstein on the Big Ten on Cleveland, the Indians, the Cavs. We got into that with him. Matt Snyder talking a little baseball. And, of course, what you just heard, Tom Caker from Hawkeye Report talking Hawkeyes. You can catch all the podcast up on our pod- podcast page over at 1700KBGG. Back at it tomorrow. It's Friday. We almost made it, guys. We'll talk to you then at noon.